All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today is another edition of Partner Mondays, where we have a VC who writes checks all the times talk to founders about their idea. This is not like Shark Tank. This isn't a pitch and then a decision. This is a coffee shop-like conversation. And I'm stoked to have two founders and one investor uh, on today. So to start, can we have Elizabeth, can you please introduce yourself as the investor for today's episode? Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. So my name is Elizabeth Yin, and I've been an investor for the last five, going on six years. And I am a general partner and founder of a VC fund called Hustle Fund. We invest in very, very early stage software companies. And by very early stage, I mean, typically a company has a product, but not necessarily any revenue or traction. All right. Thanks for sharing that. And then on the founder side, can, can uh, both of you introduce yourselves and then you can dive into what you're working on. All right. Uh, my name is Aiden Romer. I'm a, a senior biomedical engineering student at ASU, and I'm also the co-founder of Next Rehab. Hi, um, I'm Miriam Alshika, also a senior in biomedical engineering, and I'm one of the co-founders of Next Rehab. So our company, Next Rehab, has developed a device that uses cranial nerve stimulation and motion sensing software to enhance stroke rehabilitation. Yeah, I think that sounds really neat. Actually, I would love to, before we even dig into this business, learn a bit more about you guys. Like what, what were you doing before? Like, how did you land on this idea? How do you know each other? That kind of thing. All right. Uh, so um, I initially, uh, we were in a class together and we had an opportunity uh, to go to London to work at a, a, on a project there uh, of given to us by our school. And it was a, a pilot program for um, an engineering uh, summer school. So uh, we all met in London. And even though um, Marion was actually in my class, we actually um, officially met there in London. But, um, so we, we all worked together uh, on this project. We were just given a general uh, problem statement of, uh, of revolutionizing uh, vagus nerve stimulators for stroke re rehabilitation. And uh, we took it upon ourselves uh, to work on that together with uh, students from uh, ASU King's College London and uh, University of New South Wales. And uh, we came together and we were actually able to make a prototype within the three weeks we were there. And uh, that, that's how we all we, uh, that's how we all met. So. Oh, neat. Mm -hmm. uh, what, and, and so uh, what was this prototype? Was it, was it what you're working on now with Next Rehab or something completely different? Uh, yes, uh, we are uh, expanding upon it um, from when we worked on it. So uh, that's, uh, uh, that's our company now. I guess if you can talk about you, you know, you just mentioned that you're expanding on, uh, you've expanded on what you started as a project. Can you talk about what the first version of the project was maybe in this program and then talk about what it is now and what, like what, what's changed? Uh, what have you, you know, built, what have you scaled what have you done since you first started the project, you know, in, in the school? 
So um, in the school, we built like our very first prototype. It was kind of just to show that we can actually like build this thing. Um, it was, it had an electrode, a circuit that was like sort of functioning and then a motion sensor. And it, it all, it all sort of worked. But um, after we left, we were like, you know, we actually, we know that this can make an impact on the world. And so we were, we were like, we need to actually bring this, bring this to the world and, you know, work on it. And so ever since uh, that summer, we've been kind of improving it. We've made our circuit so much better than what it was before. Um, and we've also been working on uh, implementing a game into it so that the patient is more, they pay more attention because that's a really important part of stroke rehabilitation is that the patient needs to pay attention to what they're doing. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Um, and so, yeah, so we're trying to make a game. Um, we've made our circuit better and yeah. <laughs> and, and so if I can just kind of understand this, this would apply, what you're trying to solve is rehabilitation of any body part. Like if you have a stroke and then you lose facilities, this yeah. would help you with that, like regardless of, of your specific issues. So initially, or at least for now, what we're working on is like limb um, partial paralyzation. Um, so that could be like legs and arms. But in the future, we're going to see if we can also implement some sort of like speech rehabilitation and, you know, writing uh, so that they can improve. Because a lot of, uh, in, in stroke, they lose the ability to, you know, either they know the word, but they don't know what it does, or they know what it does but they don't know the word and so we want to help with that kind of rehabilitation as well but for now we're focusing on just partially paralyzed limbs um yeah mm -hmm. and so I, just to kind of clarify that like so for example many years ago my grandmother had a stroke and she was paralyzed entirely on one side which meant that she couldn't really eat very well because one side of her mouth couldn't move i mean or she had to kind of force it to move she she couldn't use one arm, she couldn't use one leg, she, you know, like that whole side was paralyzed. With this, she would be able to basically use her arm and leg, like she'd be able to walk, uh, but she still might have trouble with like eating. Is that kind of a clarification of what you'd be able to solve? So, okay, so it all depends on what kind of rehabilitation they do. So when they go to the physical therapist and they kind of, they, they basically say, okay, this is what, uh, what was impaired and then need to fix this. And so the physical therapist would give them the certain exercises that they need to do. And so if the exercise had anything to do with um, moving the facial muscles, which I'm not exactly sure if there is, there might be, um, then it would help with that. But for now, we're just focusing on like legs and arms and stuff like that. Got it. Yeah. And the only exercise that she was given was, um, to help with her walking and basically try to get yeah. one leg somewhat functional so she could kind of drag one leg yeah. around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. A quick question I have is, you know, you mentioned that you're using a game or like gamification to get people to use, um, you know, use this more and use this more often. Um, how did you decide that using a game and gamification is the right method versus, you know, another, another method? Uh, so when we discuss with the physical therapists, 
uh, one of the problems that they had is that they would give um, uh, patients exercises to do at home and uh, the patients would come in the next week and they'd be worse off than the last week they came in for physical therapy because they uh, didn't do their exercises. So the problem we're trying to address is um, getting people motivated to uh, use the device and to keep people's attention because people can uh, tend to get bored when they're just uh, doing repetitions of the same exact thing. So the introduction of the game helps maintain focus. And um, uh, also another important uh, uh, step in the recovery process is actually paying attention while you're focusing on doing the exercise. Because if you're doing the exercise and not paying attention, you uh, won't recover um, as fully as you do if you're actually uh, in focus and paying attention while you're doing these exercises. So it's both of the factors of motivation and attention. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around like, uh, what does this look like and where does it go? Like, I assume this is a device of sorts. Um, so uh, for now, it, it's a little bit in its early stage, but um, how we have it, it's an electrode uh, that uh, clips onto the uh, outer portion of your ear, uh, pinna. <laughs> uh -huh. And um, and uh, that's connected to a circuit that we've uh, custom built. And then that's connected to uh, a microprocessor, uh, microprocessor Arduino that's connected to a computer. And um, there's also uh, a motion uh, tracker uh, connected. And in this case, uh, for the prototype, we're using a Connect. And wow. so the uh, person can stand or sit in front of the connect and then do their exercises and we have the exercises uh programmed into the um into the computer and uh the connect monitors that the person is doing the correct exercise so when they get their uh, arm or their leg to a certain angle uh that's when you know that the exercise is correct and it'll like light up green and then uh, that's when it activates the microprocessor to send the pulse and it, uh, it stimulates the cranial nerve. Oh, interesting. Actually, so I don't, I don't have a background in uh, anything related to the brain or biology. Uh, Tell me a bit more about that. Like what, what is that last part? Like, and also you're able to stimulate uh, from the ear? Yes. Uh, so uh, what we're doing is the the really big part about this is the uh, the cranial nerve st stimulation and uh, specifically we're focusing on the vagus nerve and uh, what stimulating the vagus nerve does it helps promote a neuroplasticity and that uh, rewires uh, the neural pathways around the damaged parts of the brain uh -huh. and that's like the the goal where we're trying to uh, achieve here is uh, to recover faster uh, through that. And uh, when you stimulate the vagus nerve, it releases some neurotransmitters that uh, help with that. And there's lots of research behind it. That's why we picked up all that. And um, there is a branch of the vagus nerve that goes um, 
out into the like the outer part of the ear and it's um pretty easy to target so that's why we chose it and uh, um and the goal is that our device is non-invasive so that you just have the electrode on the outside and it stimulates like that interesting okay and so presumably then you you don't need to go through fda approvals or things like that uh yet <laughs> but we do, <laughs> do. eventually a yeah lighter version of that what a lighter version of that um if we're talking medical devices probably not i mean i guess if we market outside the u.s we wouldn't need to go through that pathway but if we are to market in the u.s then yes so there are already like um, non-invasive vagus nerve stimulators that aren't used for stroke rehabilitation. And so we could go off of that and show that our device is really similar. And so we wouldn't have to go through like too much. Um, and since also it's, it's non-invasive, um, it's, it's only a class two instead of a class three, which is a lot harder to um, get through FDA approval. But yeah, so it, it's not as hard as it could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this might be, you want, I'm just kind of curious. Let's just say that you, um, you know, at some point you, you, you get through FDA approval and you're able to, to, you know, sell this. I'm kind of just interested to know who is the first person, who's the persona of who needs this? Um, or more specifically, who would you sell this to? Is it to hospitals or is it to people? Is it to like, yeah, I guess who, who's the end, uh, who's the person who's buying this? Okay, so initially, um, so I guess the target person is the the actual consumer, the person who's using this device, but we don't, I don't think that it, the person who is using it is going to be the person that buys it. We suspect that will go to doctors and they'll buy it and then kind of you know prescribe it to their uh, patients so they can use it if they think that it would work best for them does that answer your question yeah definitely okay. <laughs> and one other question uh elizabeth might might be wondering this i know i am um i may might jump the gun a little bit but i'm curious like can you um at least for me outline a realistic timeline of what it looks like to get through FDA approval um, uh, and potentially how much you think that might cost to, to get you through all of that? Uh, so uh, we, we've been, uh, uh, we, we've been uh, looking at it a, a bit. We're still trying to um, mostly get the device more functional, but um, from what we've seen, it, It'll probably take, um, it might it might take a, a few months to a year, probably maybe a little longer than a year, um, and it 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 will probably be expensive <laughs> because FDA approval is always like that. But uh, since we're class two, it probably won't be as expensive. But. Um, just, yeah, but we'll have to pay for clinical trials. and Yeah, that's what I was going to mention is that the reason that it takes so long and the reason it's so expensive is because we'd have to do clinical trials to prove that our device works before we can actually get the FDA approval and that it's safe and there's you know no harm to the people and stuff like that. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And then last question for me on the uh, on the FDA approval part. Um, I mean, is it expensive like a hundred thousand dollars? Is it expensive multiple, you know, one to two to three million dollars? I guess I, I know you can't know like an exact amount, but can you can you give me an idea of like the actual like in the ballpark of what expensive means in this case? Yeah. Um it'll probably be a little less than a million around that. So yeah, it's a it's a big process for every medical device company, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. So let's say that you can do all of this. I'm curious about alternatives on the market. Like what what sort of mm, like what do you need to prove from a success perspective in these trials to not only show that it works, but to show that you are the best choice that anybody could end up picking over alternatives? So I'll answer your first question, alternatives. Um, there are, in terms of stroke rehabilitation, there's only really like physical therapy and there is also invasive vagus nerve stimulation, which basically means that they wrap the electrode on the nerve itself, so you have to get surgery. Um, and the reason that ours is better is because you don't have to get surgery, you know, you reduce the risks and harms of that. And um, also the fact that uh, if you have that electrode attached to your nerve and you try to go into an MRI, it actually causes the electrode to overheat, um, which could be really bad for the person, right? Um, and in terms of physical therapy, uh, it does work, but the patient never gets the correct amount of repetitions that they need in order to recover, especially in the three to six months period. Um, that is the most critical for them to get the maximum amount of motor function recovery. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry, what was your second question? So what do you need to prove that this is like the best choice compared to alternatives or even direct competitors? So you're saying that basically the two things people are picking between right now are what you've outlined as either the invasive surgery mm -hmm. or physical therapy. Are there other things in the market? Um, not that we've seen. Those are like the main two things. I don't think there's non-invasive vagus nerve stimulation for stroke rehabilitation. Um, mm. But for us to prove that ours is the best would probably be that the person is able to get more motor function recovery than what's available on the market right now. Um, and yeah, that they can, that, you know, physical therapists also agree that this is a better option than what they have um with just physical therapy alone and the current options physical therapy or surgery are they covered by insurance today yeah yeah they're they're both uh yeah they're covered by insurance and what what's sort of the cost of um yeah. both of those so lifetime cost of stroke rehabilitation is one hundred forty one thousand dollars. that's for the physical therapy that's for that's for all like all the yeah I, I think this is just physical therapy um i'm not sure about the surgery though mm -hmm. and that is what would be paid for the physical therapy um on behalf of the patient is that right yes i see do you know what the process is to getting this approved by insurance 
I'm not aware, Aiden, do you know? Um, I, I'm not sure yet. We still have yet to look into that. Yeah. Yeah, no worries. Got it. One um one question, um, kind of echoing one of Elizabeth's was it seems like, at least to me, this is this is a pretty big step up of other options on the market. Seems like this is like a way a way better, you know, solution. Um, why was there something that happened in the last three to five years that allowed the technology that you're building to be built? And if not, why has no one else done what you've done up to this point? Um, I'd say that uh, uh, Vegas nerve stimulation is uh, somewhat new. Um, it, it might be within the last five years, but uh, it, it's a pretty recent technology. I think that's why they wanted us to look into it in our class. And um, so we decided to pursue the, the method of a non-invasive, which is, I, I guess you could say is, is much newer than the invasive method, so. Uh, sorry. Uh, what was uh, yeah, what no. was a, a question initially asking? I just <laughs> no, you answered you answered my question. So you ultimately oh, okay. perfect. You ultimately uh, are saying the vagus the, the the technology of stimulating the vagus nerve, you know, was not around twenty years ago. It, it's more yeah. recent, which is why there's not you know a bunch of competitors because this is a, something newer, which is that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, there, uh, there are other products that are, um, non-invasive vagus nerve stimulators, but they don't deal with stroke. Uh, one of them is called GammaCore and, uh, they deal with, uh, migraines actually. And so they, there's a bunch of cool uses for vagus nerve stimulation. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. And so... Uh, you're thinking that the path to selling this is essentially through physicians. I assume you mean like providers as a whole, like hospitals or, or physical therapists, even like, are you thinking uh -huh. physical therapists are directly competitive or how? Where I, I, would, I would assume that it would be the physician themselves that I don't think it would be hospitals because the patient, after they get the stroke, they kind of, they just leave the hospital. It would be whatever doctor they see would probably prescribe, like prescribe or whatever you know, tell them about this. Um, it could possibly also be physical therapists, but I'm not sure if they would be allowed to um, kind of tell the person they can use this device. Mm -hmm. I think it's more a doctor thing. Mm -hmm. Got it. And you think this is something that people should be using for those three to six months afterwards or for a much longer term? Oh, just, just when they're doing the recovery like, period. It, so yeah, the three to, three to six months after their stroke. Mm -hmm. And yeah, sorry. Okay. No, you got it. Oh, just um, so that I understand, like the best method to use this would be to use it every day for those three to six months so they need to perform uh, not like a number of repetitions um i i think it I, I think it's like i'm not sure if it's every day but it, it definitely there is like a certain number that they need to do before they meet the physical therapist um in order to get 
the maximum amount of motor function recovery. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's every day, but I, I, I would assume that it's possible that it's every day. I, I think it's just up to the physical therapist's discretion. Yeah, probably. And something I was wondering, um, again, I, if you're able to put this through insurance, then it's probably a different animal. But at least in your in your current mind, uh, um, if people are only using this uh, for three to six months after they get a stroke, um, I guess two two pronged question. One, I don't know the best way to ask this, but I'll just ask like. Do you usually do most people have just one stroke in their life? Do they have two or three? Do you see this as being used multiple times over one's lifetime, although not ideal? And then my second question is: Is there a disadvantage to having such a short time to be used on like a in regards to your business model? Okay, so um, in terms of so people that get a stroke, they are at risk of getting another stroke like they're more at risk of getting another stroke than somebody who's never gotten a stroke. Um, and so to answer your second question, if there's a disadvantage, um, I, would, I wouldn't really think so because, that, because of the reason that they might be getting another stroke afterwards. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any, dis I don't think there's a disadvantage to it being such a short time. And even so, like, I don't think it's even really that short. So it's not just the three to six months. It might be even more than that, depending on what the, the physical therapist sees uh, that that person needs. Yeah, that makes sense. I have one, one more question on, on this front. I think I would have a more rounded idea if I knew how you think about it, charging for it. Is it a subscription? Is it like per use? That'll give me a better idea on kind of unit economics of like three to six months or a little longer? Uh, I don't think that we're going to do it as a subscription. I think that it's just going to be like whoever needs it can buy it kind of thing or like, you know, get the doctor to get it for them or the insurance company or whatever. Yeah, I don't think it would be a subscription. Ah, sorry. So just true. last question is, um, so it would be like, just like anything, you buy a product and you can use that product however long you want. Is, is, is that similar yeah. to that? Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Got it. Do you have a sense of pricing? Uh, a little bit. So our prototype costed us, um, like to make it about $270. Um, and then we know that with like manufacturing, mass manufacturing and, you know, minimizing the device and stuff like that, we could probably bring it down to even like $30. And so at that point, we could probably sell it for like even $300, which could sound pretty high, but there are like those devices that Aiden mentioned earlier, those cost like 300, I mean, sorry, $600, like a week or something like that. Like they, they charge so much more for those kind of devices than ours would be. Well, if you're selling it as a solution, then all in, you have to also provide the connect or equivalent, right? Unless you're planning on also building your own platform that is separate from that. Yeah. So we were thinking of, uh, well, the connect was just kind of to prove that our prototype was working, but in the future, we hope to make it just an app. Um, where you could kind of set your phone in front of you and then it tracks the motion sensing. Um, and yeah, so that it's not like you have to buy these cameras or anything like that. It's just, it's an app and then 
you have the vagus nerve stimulator um, attached to your ear and stuff. I see. Interesting. I mean, I, I, I got the sense that it was going to be low cost for you to make as soon as you mentioned that you're using Arduinos and everything else sounded pretty off the shelf. <laughs> um, but I think your cost is not the same as value. I think you guys could charge a lot. And so I, I would actually encourage you to kind of look where in this landscape you fit in. I mean, you just told me that people spend whatever, $140,000 on physical therapy in those first three to six months. What is this worth to people? Is that a good chunk of that? Like, is that worth 10,000? Yeah, that's, that was definitely like something we were thinking about. It's, it's like our cost and like our costs are kind of early stages. Like we're not exactly sure. But um, we did want to make it low cost. That was one of the things that we were hoping to make our device. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing is, my hypothesis is that this is entirely covered by insurance, or at least most of it is. And so I don't know if you are able to talk with other health companies that work with insurance companies and get introductions that way or talk with insurance companies directly. But I would definitely try to get a sense of what they think it will take to get this covered because I'm just very skeptical in general that people will want to pay for this out of pocket given that most medical related things are covered by insurance. Yeah, we I don't uh, we're not um like saying that it'll be covered by the person, it'll be covered yeah by insurance companies. So yeah, we'll definitely look into that for sure. You know, thanks for the suggestion. Yeah, thank you. And one um, question I had uh, kind of a, on a different element was, it sounds like but you, you have a team that's built some incredible technology, uh, which, is, which is honestly, it's, from what it sounds like, it sounds like it's, it's second to none. It sounds like it's really good technology. I'm curious, do you have anyone on your team um, that you've added uh, that is kind of handling the business side or the business modeling or, you know, anything like the go to market, anything on that side, I guess, who's kind of helping you with the go to market and the business strategy? Um, so <laughs> we're, we're actually still looking uh, for someone to, to mainly handle that. But uh, for now, uh, we've been uh, handling that ourselves. Um, I, I think it, we've like delegated someone for now <laughs> to, uh, to work for the business uh, modeling, but uh, we are still trying to find someone that would actually be a little bit more knowledgeable on the business aspect. And I'll just uh, give you a little a chance for a little plug here, and then um, if Elizabeth, you have more questions, then great. Um, but if 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 anyone's listening to this and you, you're into what you're you're hearing and you feel like you could help. Um, I guess, uh, what's a way that someone listening just to do it in the moment can get in touch with you? Are you on Twitter? Do you have an email? If there's a perfect business person that wants to get involved with this, how can they reach you? Yeah, so we have a contact form on our website, uh, nextrehab.wixsite.com slash move, or they can email us at nextrehab at gmail.com. Got it. And then last question on this front is ideally, um, are you, what, what specifically, if you were to, you know, if you were talking to someone right now who had the skill set that you needed, 
um, you know, what, what are you looking for in a business person? What attributes, you know, does location matter? Just give like a quick blurb on, on type of person you're looking for. And maybe someone listening, you know, will reach out and, and, and be that person for you. Um, let's see. Uh, so preferably, um, someone, uh, uh, perhaps like seeking business degree of some sort, um, or they have knowledge in marketing and, uh, business modeling. Um, somebody who's really passionate about this kind of stuff and mm -hmm. really, you know, not just the device, but also about business itself, marketing and stuff like that. And in terms of location, location does not matter. We're an international team. We got people in Canada and London and Australia. So yeah, we're, we're not looking for somebody just in Tempe or something. Cool. I have a question. So have you guys been talking with doctors, like doing your customer development on doctors? We've been mostly talking to physical therapists. Oh, in terms of like how uh, they would want to see this used in conjunction with their. With yeah. Their yeah. Yeah. Basically like customer needs and stuff. What, yeah. What they would want in a device like this. I see. But you think the doctors need to be the ones prescribing it. Is that right? Yeah. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I've asked you guys a lot of questions. Um, do you have any questions that you guys want to answer or ask rather? Um, I don't think I've got any. <laughs> Aiden? Uh, how are you doing? <laughs> one thing i'll um one thing i'll uh, kind of give you guys an idea for is so when we did our last podcast i asked you just about the the vc scene the fundraising scene and uh, you gave me you know you told me that you you feel like you understand it pretty well um well i will say that elizabeth is you know she's a investor in the bay area and she is you know i would classify as like a tier one investor seeing all the deal flow so now it'd be like a really really good opportunity to just like even ask any like like quote unquote like stupid question or a question you might seem obvious elizabeth is a wealth of knowledge so anything you're wondering about the world of vc investing raising money and not raising money now would be a pretty uh, good good chance to ask because this is you know someone in the arena yeah, um, I guess in terms of raising money, where would you suggest that we look like most to try to raise that one million that we need? Yeah, so I'll answer that question and then I'll add extra stuff that you might not be thinking about. So I think the first is you're a medical device and I would definitely say that while there are some software investors who invest in medical devices, like it's a pretty different set of VCs than the ones that I collaborate with. And we, I mean, at Hustle Fund don't do medical device investments. Um, but that being said, like, you know, I would, I would just kind of go online and do your research and see who does invest in medical devices. So that's number one. And there are a lot in Boston and then some out here, but I would say Boston is a great place. Secondly, I would say just from having done a lot of health investments that don't require FDA approvals. And that I say is the big distinction between medical device investors and those who don't. 
-hmm. is that there are a number of things that I think you need to be able to answer well before you're ready to fundraise. So I think even if you can get this device working just fine, I think having solid answers around the path of customer acquisition is key. So doing customer development with the doctors to really understand what is it going to take for them to prescribe you, hypothetically, then I think that that's a big, big one. I think a second big one is around talking with an insurance company or two to really understand what does it take to get approved. Like having all your ducks lined up on that is going to be super important. I mean, when I look at our portfolio of health companies, they all have solutions that are covered by insurance and they all did a lot of work to get to that even before having customers and even before having a product. So I think that's really important to do upfront because you don't want to build out this thing and then spin your wheels for the next two years because there's something not quite right in the workflow of one of these people and you're not able to get approved for insurance or a doctor doesn't want to prescribe you because of ABC reasons. So that's the homework that I would spend time doing. And it might actually take a while because these folks are, you know, I guess like challenging to kind of pin down. Yeah. Yeah. We're completely aware um, of all the things that we need to do, like talking to insurance companies and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we're just so early stages that we haven't really gotten to that point, but yeah, those are great recommendations. Thank you so much. And, and okay. totally understand that this is early and totally understand that the device isn't even necessarily ready. But I guess what I'm saying is even as a prerequisite to raise $1 million, like you'll need to have solid answers for that. Even yeah, though yeah. you are raising early stage money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. one, one thing that I'll mention that doesn't exactly answer your question, but I think it might be helpful is I think, um, yes, you are in the early stage company and you know, your, your product is still getting built and getting finalized. But there's something that I've learned, um, especially when I went out to the Bay last year for three months, where like a lot of startups and a lot of business building in this world is like a mental game. And uh, um, I think that uh, although recognizing your product is early in your early stage, that's good, but still being, um, I don't know if the word is aggressive, but I'll say it, uh, being aggressive in your approach to getting to where you need to be to potentially raise the, 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 the 1 million, almost like mentally feeling like a Bay Area company or like a New York company, even though you're based in Tempe, as like a really good strategy to move faster than you would have otherwise. You know, there's no, like the only thing that's in front of you is the next step. So take that step as fast as you can, regardless of your early stage or not. That's something that someone told me when I was working on my last company and helped me a lot. Do you guys have any more questions uh, for Elizabeth? Um, no, I don't think so. I'm good. Cool. Well, I think to finish out the podcast, um, I think what would be helpful is both Elizabeth, although she already kind of said it, but just kind of reiterating, Elizabeth can say kind of her thoughts on, on, the opportunity and what and you know advice that she might have although she did kind of already give it but maybe we can like codify that in the end and then i'll also do the same i don't have a uh, i don't have a vc fund 
I don't, you know, I'm not in investing money, but one day I like, I'd like to be. So I think this is like cool opportunity to, to help. Um, because Elizabeth obviously is way more experienced than me. I'll go first and then I'll let Elizabeth finish out the podcast. Um, I think for you guys, I think you're both brilliant technologists. I thought this when last time we talked, which is why I wanted to set this up. I think you both have a lot of potential um, and you already are reaching it. Um, I think getting like a, a world-class, quote unquote world-class, you know, AKA like a young hustler, um, business person working with you is really important because um, yeah, go to market is crucial and the product is just one side of it. So I would prioritize finding, forget the, in my opinion, forget the business degree and forget the, forget all like the credentials. I would just find someone you would classify as like, like a hustler and someone that works hard and more important, most importantly is really good with people. Um, they don't, in my opinion, need a business degree. The last thing I would say is this is because you live, you know, where I live, which is Arizona, Phoenix. Um, definitely, uh, it's okay to allow yourself to play to play bigger and take bigger swings at the bat. And and if you find yourselves brushing shoulders with bigger investors and bigger names, just embrace it. It's you know not it's not super common when you're you know you know you're in Arizona to get to do that. So if you get the chance, you know, just hit it out of the park. Um, those are the two things that I would say. But overall. Great job. I think you're both really impressive. And I think you both have a bright future. I'll leave it to Elizabeth to finish finish off the podcast. Yeah, I think this is super intriguing. I think you guys have developed something very interesting. You know, not knowing anything about the space, at least it sounds like this is a unique take and, and certainly an important problem to solve. And so I I would actually encourage you to continue down this path like as quickly as you can while you're students to get some of these answers. And I think to echo Matt's point, you may or may not need a business person actually. And you may decide that you, you want to actually try your hand at the business itself. I think certainly when many of these things are customer development related, I often find that founders are the best people to do the customer development. uh, Even if you don't have the background in business, And what I would say, though, that might be interesting is to get a mentor. So not even necessarily a formal advisor where you're giving up equity, where somebody who has taken a medical device to market to try to learn what exactly is the path, like what are all the questions you need to answer, such as before going into a fundraising meeting, or even after that, like as you're setting up these trials, like what needs to go into that? What do you need to prove out? Who do you need to talk to before you get those results? Just to make sure that you're lining your ducks up in a row, like without wasting time. Because I think the last thing you would want to figure out is, oh gosh, we should have started looking at ABC six months ago, but we didn't know that. And so if there's just anybody you can consult on that, I think that would be incredibly helpful. Um, but great job. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Those are, yeah, those are really great um, points. Uh, and I completely agree with both of you on everything that you said. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you all for coming on. I definitely am liking this format more and more. So thanks for, you know, participating in the experiment. I think, you know, good things will come from it. And uh, again, before we finish, just a, a quick note to anyone listening. Um, you know, if you, think you can help this team in any way uh you know you reach out to them on their website uh you know they're very smart as you can tell so uh and they they're um yeah so just if you can help you can whether it's on business or whether it's mentoring anything like that reach out and to finalize thank you everyone for coming on to the podcast and uh, 
best of luck moving forward. Have a good day.